Good afternoon. So good to see you. Welcome, particularly if you're new, first time here. Very good to have you. Um, it's always, I think we pretty often have first timers here, so it's really special. Now, this is a strange passage for any religious person to, to, to get into, isn't it? Like, this is more like, say hi to your mum for me than a, than a religious text. Uh, if you wanted proof that the Bible is not a textbook, then here it is. This is the passage that a church is preaching on. Um, now, for some context, we have been looking at a part of the Bible, which is God's word to us people. But for a divine book, the Bible is a very human book. Uh, it's written by real people uh, with all of the, the, the flavor and cultural baggage that comes with that. Uh, here we're reading uh, from a letter. This is a letter from a first century Christian to a first century gathering of Christians. And what we've got here is the tail end, the goodbyes, the this is how it ends. So let's open it up, see what we find. All right, I, I want to break it down, first of all, into four sections. There's four parts, and you can, you can tell the old school preacher in me here. Paul commends couriers, he gives greetings, he instills instructions, and he signs his signature. Yeah, that's pretty lame, I know. But I'm a dad, I'm embracing it, I'm going hard. And the order that these four things, that they come in is actually important, as we're going to see. So let's kick off. He commends the couriers. Um, now, this is a fairly common practice in the ancient world, a letter of commendation or even introduction, you might say, because the deliverer of your letter in the ancient world, they weren't simply a courier. They were the reader. Right? So, in fact, this letter has got more to it. The reader, the courier, was probably hanging out there with you when you were writing the letter. So that they, they got all of the ums and ahs and, oh, no, write this down and all of that sort of stuff. They understand the author's intent. And so they are there and they'll go and read it out to you in a way so that you will get what the author was trying to say to you. They're a very powerful person in that sense. And so it's very important that this person, that you understand this person is legitimate. This is a real uh, person appointed by, sent by Paul to say these words. And do you notice what he says about Tychicus in his little letter of commendation there? He's a beloved brother. This man belongs to Jesus too. And he is loved by those who can call him their sibling in the faith. This man knows Jesus. <coughs> Secondly, he's a faithful servant. Literally, a, a faithful diakonos, the word from which we get deacon. Now, you can see here the word deacon has come to be seen as a specific role, a technical office, but you can see how that's not really what Paul's using the word for. It's a description. This, he's saying this guy serves in the church. He does stuff faithfully. He trusts in Jesus and he can be trusted, this guy. And thirdly, he's a fellow slave of Christ. Which is interesting because there's two people that Paul introduces and only one of them he calls a fellow slave of Christ. But we'll get onto that in a second. See, this is really Paul putting himself into the same category as Tychicus. You see, Paul calls himself a fellow slave of Christ at the start of his letter. He's not Paul's underling. He's just another brother who's out there sharing the gospel with people. There's no sort of hierarchy in this Christianity. He's here, he's a brother, and he is here sharing the gospel with you. Now, all this is important because this makes him the man appropriate for a special purpose visit, as is described down in verse 8. So if you don't have your Bible open and you want to sort of see what I'm referencing, have it open. Verse 8, it says, 
I am sending Tychicus to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. It matters to Paul that, that this church, who's never met him, knows how he's going. Now, that's not true for the leader of a political party. It doesn't really matter that much to Albo if his base followers really know how, how he's going and what it's like for him and how his faith's travelling along. It doesn't necessarily matter that for, for, for your boss, that you, know, you as, his, as the employee or his or her employee, that you know how they're going. But here, this group is very different. This is family. Secondly, that he may encourage your hearts. You see, Paul sent a pastor to read out this, these words of God's good news that God and people could be reconnected and, and how God's church was faring elsewhere. To, to encourage their hearts, to bolster their belief. And he needed to give a full commendation like this. It's necessary because, well, the other guy who came with him, well, the other guy who came with him was, let's just say, a little bit less likely to be trusted. You see, one of the most interesting facts in the Bible, I think personally, is that the letter to the Colossians wasn't the only letter in Tychicus' satchel as he couriered it along. See, there was at least one other letter in that, in that delivery, possibly, in fact, most likely more. Has anyone here ever read the book of Philemon, Philemon? Yeah, a few people have, okay. Um, short letter, just one little chapter. It's also written by Paul, and it was also carried by Tychicus. And it was also written to a Christian living in Colossae. So he's got one letter for the whole church, and he's got one letter just for one guy. And they came in the same bag, right? This guy's name was Philemon. Phil. We're going to call him Phil. It's easier. Now, Phil. Phil's probably a fairly rich bloke because Phil used to own a slave, a slave by the name of Onesimus, until that slave stole from him and ran away. And that slave also just happens to be the second courier that Paul sent his letter to the Colossians with. So you can imagine the look on Phil's face because it's like church here tonight, He's just going along to church. Well, not like here tonight, because they would have been in a home. But in church at home, and, he, and all of a sudden, this unman, unknown man walks through the door along with his criminal runaway slave. He's not really going to be thinking, I'm going to listen to this bloke, is he? The second letter in the satchel that we call Philemon was basically telling Phil, Phil, Onesimus, yes, yes, I know what happened. This guy's become a Christian. He's your brother. Don't kill him. I say that with a kind of a laugh on my face, but if he had been a non-Christian slave owner, no, no that, that, he, he would have meant don't kill him. That could easily have happened. Probably would have happened. And in fact, he says to Phil, Phil I, I, know, I know you know your rights against this guy. The rap sheet is long. I actually also want you to forgive him. And even... Maybe even you should be releasing him from the slavery altogether. That's interesting background going on, right? For when the slaves and masters bit that we did a couple of weeks ago is read out in the Colossian church. I want you to imagine you're there, you're in church, and there, Tychicus is there standing with the parchment, and he reads it out. Slaves, obey your earthly lords in everything. Looks over at Onesimus. <laughs> masters. Looks over, looks over at, um, at Philemon. Mm -hmm. This is real. 
It's, it's personal. It's not doctrine. Well, it is teaching. It's practical teaching. It's real teaching. It's, 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 it's about people and how they treat each other. And so Paul here makes, wants to make sure those first moments when they walk through the door, those assurances were necessary. Because you've got to remember, he can't get the assurances until he gets to the end of the letter. Like, like there's going to be a long time of uncertainty before you get to the assurances. But now we're here. Paul says in verse 9, Onesimus is one of you. And they're all thinking, oh, no, no, we know Onesimus is one of us. We've read the rap sheet. But Paul's saying, no, no, I mean it. He's one of you. He's become a brother. He's become a Christian. See, after Onesimus ran away, he met Paul and became really one of the Colossians, one of the Colossian church. And he too is faithful, says Paul, and he's dear to us. In the church, don't you disregard him like a runaway slave. Don't you look down on him because he's brought shame on his family. Don't treat him like that. Now also, it's interesting, this is why the order of those sections... Commendation first, signature last is important because um, Paul actually signs off in verse 18. Now, see, the most common method of letter writing in the ancient world was to use a, a trusted scribe to do the actual transcription and the author would stand there and dictate, uh, an amanuensis, they were called. Actually, probably less expensive than doing it yourself because materials were probably pretty expensive and you're probably going to make some mistakes unless you're a professional scribe. So um, that, that's what you would do. And, and Paul was a highly educated man, so he could write, but he had a scribe who did it. And his habit was at the end of each of his letters to grab the quill himself and pen the last words of his letters himself. He wasn't quite scribe quality. That's why, I don't know if you know, the end of one of his letters, he says, see what letters I, what large letters I write with my own hand. He's saying, that's why this looks like baby writing, guys, because it's actually me doing it. This is legitimate. I'm signing it. And the effect of that is that he's signing off on these guys. You see, there's this dodgy bloke that you're not sure you'd want to let into your church. That Paul says, no, now he's a brother. That's in the, that's in the jam-packed, tightly woven, perfectly scribed, you know, and no gaps using every square millimetre of parchment so you don't waste it in the ancient world bit of the text. And Paul afterwards in his, the big sloppy Greek scrawl says, yes, I mean it. This guy, yes, all of that above, all of those commendations, it's really me and I really mean it. You really do need to accept him. This is the encryption at the end of the thing that guarantees the authenticity of that message. These men will tell you about what's going on for me and you can trust them and you can trust what they say. All right. Paul then comes forward to some greetings. Greetings from six different men. A bloke named Aristarchus, who is probably literally a fellow prisoner with Paul in the chains. Aristarchus sends his love. Jesus sends his love as well. No, not that Jesus. The other Jesus. Got to give it to Jesus is right. And then we come to Mark. Ah, uh, uh, Mark. Good old Mark. This is the Mark who church tradition holds as the, the author of the Gospel of Mark, though we don't actually have any New Testament direct evidence for that. Uh, but we do have evidence of some question marks around his behavior. No, I'm not even saying sorry for that one. That was good. Uh, his, his track record was far from perfect. Uh, this is from Acts chapter 15, verse 36. If you uh, want to look that up, you can. This is a part of Paul's travel journal from before this moment. This is an earlier travel of Paul. So Acts 15, 36, if you want to look it up, I'll just listen if you want to. It says there, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, remember Barnabas? 
Mark's cousin from the, yeah. Let us go back and we're going to visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and we're going to see how they're going. It's been a missionary journey, planted a whole bunch of churches, wants to go back and, you know, encourage those guys. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. He did it. He didn't even just like, oh, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. No, he grabbed Mark. He did the thing Paul said, no, we shouldn't do that, and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. You see, this obviously wasn't a small disagreement, was it? Mark's abandonment of them, however that looked, we don't really know exactly what happened, was obviously serious enough that Paul's saying, no, we can't have him with us. And I'm willing to break part ways with you over that decision. Not having him there, not again. And so it's so beautiful, these verses here, isn't it? Because what we see here is that failure wasn't final for Mark. That's not the last word on him. What are the words here? If he comes to you, welcome him. I've sent you instructions. Possibly another letter unpreserved to history, but, but the same way maybe that Paul sent instructions to Philemon about, about Onesimus. Saying, hey, look, you've got to understand in the gospel, this is the way we treat each other. You've got you to love this guy, care for this guy. This is what the gospel does. It undoes the, the, the ways of the world that leave this man excluded. Bring him back in. Maybe it was that kind of letter. We don't know. But there's, there's, there's whispers of his restoration story throughout the New Testament. Um, 1 Peter 5, Paul refers to Mark fondly as his son. And maybe the most beautiful one here. 1 Timothy 4, the end of the story. We hear Paul, the old man Paul, able to say to Timothy in this, this other letter that he wrote to a guy named Timothy, he says, I want you to go get Mark. Go get him. Bring him here with you. Because that former deserter, that, that man who was unfit to journey with us, he is a great help to me in my ministry. I need him. And if he's the author of Mark's gospel, as we suspect that he is, then he's been a great help to every other pastor for the last 2,000 years as well. You see, Onesimus and Mark are proof that failure is not final in the gospel. Jesus loves, Jesus forgives and powerfully uses the criminal who repented, Onesimus, right? So he'd had this pre-Christian life. But it's not just the, the pre-Christian misspent youth that you can be forgiven for and move on from. Jesus also forgives and loves and powerfully uses Mark, the believer who failed even after his conversion, uh, the, the, the one who, he, the, who messed it up. And abandoned them, and he used him to reveal the gospel story to the last 2,000 years of history. I wonder what would happen if, you, or how you'd feel if you substituted your name in there and said, Pete, your failures aren't final. Jesus is able to forgive you, to love you to powerfully use you. He may not use you to change the next 2,000 years of Christian history, but he might 
Because he didn't use Mark because he was some champion of integrity, some amazing guy. So if you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm a nobody, so I wouldn't use me, he's like, that's the point with Mark, partly. He was a nobody that Jesus used. His failures weren't final and neither is yours. This is the message of the gospel. Your sinful past does not determine your gospel future. God may have grand plans for you. Now, with Mark, there were consequences for what he did, right? Like it caused ruckuses, it caused difficulty amongst gospel-telling partners, and so that there might be some medicine to take because of our failures, right? There might be some things we've got to do, some discipline to accept, some training and rehabilitative love to, to submit to. But in church, the eternal love of Christ is greater than our sin. There is always hope for you in Jesus. All right, now those three men, the Aristarchus, um, Mark, and uh, who's the other guy? It was Jesus, yep. Um, they were the only other culturally Jewish people with Paul, and that's comforting to him there in verse 8. A slice of home, he's really glad to have them around. But along with those sort of three Jewishly cultured guys, he also sends greetings from Epaphras, who's actually a Colossian who had gone away, who'd learned about the gospel, was the guy who'd come back and told them about the gospel. Now, what a beautiful greeting that must have been to receive. Not just the greeting. The guy, remember, the guy who actually told me about Jesus, the guy who, the, that song we just sang, the, when death was arrested and my life began, the guy who gave me my new life, the guy who gave, gave me that message. Well, not, he, not just that greeting that he, he cares still. He's continually praying for you guys, remember. And I think this is a part of the whole point of this last little bit. It's not just the start that matters as a Christian, right? Like it's not just, oh, you, you prayed the sinner's prayer and now you're in, so we're all fine. Great, Jesus forgives you and, and, and everything's okay and, and everything's fine. The man who evangelized them is desperately praying for them to become mature in Christ. Individually, but also together. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll pick that up more as we go along. Um, we've got Luke the doctor. He also sends his greetings. We've got another gospel author in there. Long time traveler with Paul, medical man, lots of brains going on, does all of the intellectual work, puts together the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And then Demas. Now, it doesn't mean much here, but later on, we actually discover that Demas abandons Paul because he loved the world too much. Maybe abandoned the gospel altogether too. See, it's a bit of a mix, isn't it? Even these gospel workers, like even these people, not just the Christians, the rank and file Christians, like, but even the people who are up in the pulpits and, and sharing the gospel and doing mission and stuff, they're a real mix. Some people who abandon the faith, some people who do and then come back, ex-slaves, ex-cons. It's a church. That's who we are. Now, we get to Paul's personal greetings. He's instilling some instructions, if you will. Now, Paul wants the Colossians to pass on his love to others in the local area too. Uh, the church in nearby Laodicea wants to pass his love on to them, to Nympha, to her, to the church that meets in her house. She's obviously an important church leader in the local scene based on how she's referenced here. And finally, to Archippus. Archippus, I don't know how to pronounce it. But he says, keep going, brother. You've received a task. You've received a service in Jesus. Finish it. Keep going. Keep getting at it. 
Now, I don't know about you, but maybe that's you today. This was actually me the other day. And this is partly why I say, maybe today you need a brother or a sister to say, and you just, just, need, just need someone to say, hey, hey, you've got a task in the Lord. Just get amongst it. Get at it. You know what, you know what your service for God is. You know the bits and pieces that you do for Him. You know how you serve. Don't you give up. Stick with Him. Come on. And He gave Archippus that. That's interesting. It's just so human, isn't it? It's just so real. I mean, Colossians, is, is, it, it ends in just this stuff. It's just all about a bunch of just talking to people and giving them little encouragements. Why is that? Let's look at the shape of the whole book. We're about to finish up here. The shape of the whole book, right? This book... Oh, don't know. If not everything worked. Um, this book is... It, is where we can see what God is doing and what God wants for his church. You see, we'd started out with, with the gospel is growing all over the world. And so, you know, that, that, could be as, that could be very much, you know, tick box, tick Christian in the census and I'm fine kind of stuff. But then as he goes on, Paul says, no, no, you've got to understand who this Jesus is that people are saying that they follow. Jesus is the one who created the universe. He is everything. The whole universe is for him. It's his inheritance. Everyone has been created to, 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 to honor and praise him so that God could give his son, show off his son and, and give him the glory. And then we're meant to start to learn and grow in our Christ likeness, to be like this great one as we honor him. And then Paul reminds them, well, if you want to become a mature Christian, if you want to become full, well, then religion won't cut it. Hard work won't cut it. Stoicism won't cut it. Philosophy won't cut it. Jordan Peterson, Brene Brown won't cut it. Even the, New Te even the Old Testament law won't cut it unless it leads you to Jesus Christ. If you want to become a mature human being, it's not ticking Christian on the census. You need Jesus. You need Jesus to become the person that he's got planned for you to be. People who love Jesus, people who trust Jesus, people who live out their Jesus likeness, with their life completely transformed by that. And then he shows us in the, in the next section a little bit of what that looks like, the, the ways that we can be that. Oh, that slide didn't work. Don't worry about it. Um, the, 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 the household code of this is how we do it, this is how we do it, this is how we do it. And then in the end, he comes together and says, right, the whole point of this is about how we treat each other. It's about our relationships. It's about the fact that Christ is building, not individual Christians. It's not like I go to church to sort of um, sit here and individually in my individual seat, sit here and think, right, okay, this is what I need to do to become a good person. Because the point of this is for me to feel like, or at least God to feel like, or someone to feel like I'm a good person. It's got nothing to do with that. It's to do with, well, it's not less than that, but, but, but it's about us together being God's people, a people who, who it would be heaven to be with. Not because we're perfect, because we're pretty motley crew in this passage here, but it's about the relationships between us and becoming mature. A part of becoming mature is the process of all of this relating, all of this forgiving that needs to go on here with Mark and with Onesimus, all, all of the working out of, of, of strife and struggles and difficulties between Paul and Barnabas. And so why these greetings at the end here? Well, it pulls the, pulls the book in full circle. Yes, this is about the gospel bearing fruit and growing all over the world. But what does that look like? Us. When someone becomes a Christian, you don't tick the box. Yep, great, they're done. They're not done. 
We grow into Christ-likeness together. We're all on a process, constantly growing together until together we reach the full unity and maturity of Jesus. So what I'm going to do now is just to finish by praying the prayer that Paul prays for them at the start, that God would grow us into his mature body, that we'd be like Jesus, the one who died on the cross to save us from our evil and to make us like him. Will you join me? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you that you might fill us together with the knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that we together might live a life worthy of your son Jesus and we might please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in our knowledge of you. Father, please strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might so that we might have great endurance and patience and joyfully thank you the one who qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For you have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that you love, in whom we have the forgiveness of our sins. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.